Hello, thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. For network or show information, visit byteradio.me or call 843-808-0777. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Evelyn Cole Latore. Uh, she is the author of Between Inca Walls, a Peace Corps memoir. Evelyn Latore grew up in rural southeastern Montana, surrounded by sheep and cattle ranches, before coming to California with her family at age 16. She holds a doctorate in multicultural education from the University of San Francisco and a master's degree in social welfare from UC Berkeley. She worked as a bilingual school psychologist and a school administrator in public education until her retirement. Evelyn loves to travel. To date, she and her husband have traveled to some 100 countries. You can view more about her story, photos, and information about the book by visiting her website, which is evelynlatore.com, and that's E-V-E-L-Y-N-L-A-T-O-R-R-E.com. And with that, I'd like to welcome Evelyn to the show. Good day, Evelyn. Thank you. Nice rolling your R's. (laughs) (laughs) I tried. Yeah, that's that's one of those things that... uh, um, through the years, I've had, you know, occasion to try and roll the hours or, roll, you know, do this. But anyway, thank you very much. I uh, I tried. So, um, well, you know, I, I love speaking with people who have written memoirs because, um, first of all, you know, even though um, people's experiences may vary, there's quite often a, a thread of a common, ex- you know, human experience that, that each story tells. But also that it um, uh, can be a, a very um, – it, it takes strength to do that, to put yourself out there, to put your story out there. So what, what inspired you to write your memoir at this particular point in time? Well, it actually started many years ago. I enjoy writing, period, from the time I was in elementary school in Montana – we didn't have TV, and so I read a lot. And so I got so I enjoyed writing, and I would make up all kinds of stories, usually as we drove to church 18 miles from my little town, and um, I would imagine all sorts of things, and then I would write them down. But th- this particular memoir, um, when I retired many years ago, 2002, I had time to actually delve into uh, more deep writing, and I first had to take classes to learn the craft because most of my career I had done academic writing, like a doctoral dissertation, and I published uh, articles on uh, personality type in magazines and things like that, and this kind of writing was very different. So, uh, But I wanted to find out how I came of age, and frankly, um, I wanted to understand myself better. Having a background in psychology, I thought I knew myself, but there's nothing like writing a memoir to really delve into the deeper layers, and uh, this really did that. And, and 
then I also have um, belonged to a number of organizations like the National Association of Memoir Writers and learned that there's quite a bit of research on writing your memoir by um, James Pennybaker, and it helps the immune system and it helps you sleep better and it helps your mental health, and there, there's data to support that. And it did that for me uh, partly because of my background. I grew up in a very Catholic family, and um, sex was not talked about. And then when I hit the uh, Hispanic culture at age 21, well, actually it was a little bit before that, um, I and, and I was just of the right age to be curious of, about it all. And I wanted to find out uh, how I ended up where I am today. So my book actually covers a lot of my childhood and and then goes up into um, my wedding in uh, Peru. And I kind of wanted to see how I had evolved. And uh, writing yeah. a memoir definitely does that. So does. And I've, I've you know, always and, like, uh-huh, go ahead. Oh, I was, I was just going to say, you know, in, in the, the beauty of yours is, is that you have um, so – uh, you can tell that your curiosity comes through. Your curiosity about cultures and 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 people really comes through, and and the imagery that you you know portray is is wonderful. You know, that to me, that you know people get transported, you know, to that particular place where you're talking about, which is which is a um, is a wonderful thing. Um, well, it so helps now, to have kept some diaries, and mm-hmm. then I journaled all the time I was in the Peace Corps. I kept journals. Uh, and when I dug them out to to read, I was amazed at how much I'd forgotten and the rich details uh, that I had in them. And then I tend to, I don't know why, but I'm one that keeps letters. And a lot of times yeah, I'll uh-huh. turn them back to the people that wrote them, but I read them first. Uh, but I've got announcements and brochures and, like, Peace Corps books they go back to the 60s, and I it, it's, wow. it just jogs my mind every time I, I look at them. And I, I do scrap – well, I used to do scrapbooking, and then I switched to, to writing, uh, finishing this, this memoir. Uh, but all of that helps jog the, the, the memory. It's amazing how many people say, well, they don't have anything to write about, but everybody really does. And if you – there's something traumatic, which I, I would say my experience was – somewhat traumatic. I didn't really realize how traumatic it was. This is getting pregnant before I was married, which was a big no-no in my family and in my religion. Mm-hmm. And uh, coming to grips with that, uh, it just released the energy that that was, was in me. It unpacked whatever trauma had been. And luckily in this day and age, it's not that big of a scandal. But it would have been, and it kind of was, yeah. in my family after the fact. So. But, but still, there are families in which you know there that is a strong belief, you know, and so you know it. it I think it's, it's wonderful to put it out there and, and recognize that you know there is a way through that, you know, through the um, what happens with that kind of um, situation. Yeah, I don't think I realized it when I. Uh, wrote the book how uh, what a relief it would be but I remember I belonged to a critique group which a lot of writers Mm -hmm. I belong to the California Writers Club and our local chapters of Fremont area writers and I would go uh, every other week I think we held them in the beginning and I remember 
the time I had to submit, I, well, I submitted the chapter admitting that this had happened to me, and there were men in the group, and I particularly was squeamish to to give them this chapter and, and because right. I didn't want to be judged. I didn't want to be judged. Right. And, um, and and they just released it all. They They didn't react any way other than as human beings, and, you know, this is something that happens in life. So, um, no, it was, it, it, it continues to be, I, um, am just, I'm going to have another book published, uh, a year from now. The first book, uh, Between Inca Walls comes out August 11th and you can order, uh, you can go to my website and find out how to order it. But, um, I had enough, uh, things that I had written after the wedding still wanting to look at, cause now I, mm-hmm. after that I wanted to see, well, how I got to where I am today and i've been right. more amazed at the one i'm i'm finishing writing right now so if a person goes into writing about themselves and in a way it seems indulgent my mother who passed away a couple of years ago said well you're not supposed to think about yourself well that was huh. in her day she was born in 1920 right. and and they went through a lot of things and i think it i don't know if it was good or not to think about yourself but um and she <laughs> did not like the idea that i was writing about this and in fact i think um she was she wanted to hide the fact you know i i gave birth right. to her mm-hmm. first grandchild and uh, her first words when i told her and she said was he was he premature and i said no mom and she said well <laughs> you'll regret this for the rest of your life and of course i have wow. But that's just the way wow. she was brought up, yeah, and uh, yeah, but she was yeah. a very supportive mother. No matter what, whatever decisions I made, she usually was against them because she was not a big risk taker, and uh, she would support me in them. So uh, bless her soul. <laughs> yeah, but you know, again, you know, those are the things that uh, you know that go on still today. You know, and and um, I don't know. I just you know when when putting you know that personal information out there, it, it seems that um, there's always going to be um, people um, who will be judging, you know, um, either actions or inactions. I mean, but the fact is, as a matter of fact, um, this morning I was asked by a friend that, because I was talking about today's show, and I was asked, did I ever read um, a book or and have a guest on that I thought, you know, that they – you know, why did they even write this book kind of thing? Mm. Uh, you know, I had to, you know, I thought, well, in, in 10 years, I said, you, know, so you know what? I really don't remember anyone, you know, just because mm. every story is unique and everyone mm. has a story to tell. So, I mean, it was, um, so I, I just, it was just, I had never been asked that before. And, um, and I thought, you know, it was just real interesting. And, you know, and again, you know, that kind of goes back to the idea maybe you shouldn't be talking about yourself, but I mean, when in fact the topic of yourself is what an individual knows best, <laughs> you know? Well, um, it allows you to discover your strengths uh, and your weaknesses right. and to live joys and, and look at your transformations. And uh, sometimes you see others that you write about differently, um, uh, yeah, a lot differently. So, uh, and I, ther- yeah. speaking therapeutically, you can befriend the inner child that had been rejected. I, yeah. I see quite a bit of that. Quite a few of my uh, fellow writers uh, that are published by She Writes Press uh, write about 
much more traumatic situations. I, I really uh, admire them because in order to get a book published, a good book, you, you go over it and over and over it like, I think we had 22 different. <laughs> and even the advanced copy yeah. that is not the same as the final copy. There will be a different map of Peru in it and another picture and other things like that. Um, but uh, in, in, in writing about it, like I said, it, 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 you, you just come to know yourself better. But those who write about very traumatic experiences, I often wonder how they do it. And, and I have learned uh-huh. what they recommend is if you're writing about something very traumatic, just limit how long you read it or reread right. it. Because you relive it. You relive it as, as yes. you write it. Yeah. But each time it yeah. gets to have the tra- traumatic part has less hold on you. So. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, but and and again, it's those you know traumas that um, I think people who have similar experiences relate to. I mean, in a way, you know, just as you you know re-reading it each time lessens its hold on you. I think for people who have had that had traumatic experiences, reading it. Um, even if it's not the exact same kind of trauma, they mm-hmm. also kind of experience it. And, and again, you know, I think it would have the same ex- same effect of lessening the hold that that experience has. Well, if it's a well written memoir, people will go yeah. on your journey <laughs> with you. Yeah, uh-huh. and um, that's why in the very traumatic books, also they'll alternate chapters where you can't you can't like I yeah. a really good book that I read was the Parrot's Perch. Um, and it was about a woman who uh, was tortured in Brazil for, I guess, a, for quite a while. And it would be hard to read that if you didn't know from the beginning that she ended up alive. Uh, but it still was intriguing the way she she described the torture. Uh, it was in a prison in, in Brazil. Anyway, so they're just – and you get to travel, you know, as you yeah. know, everybody who reads books, you get to travel with – it's a – a journey like none other <laughs> you know i like traveling exactly. and i and so uh reading books and r- writing uh you get to observe well in my case observe my evolution so that's a, a real journey exactly exactly well let's, i want to talk a little bit about some of uh the a couple of the points in the book that seem to be you know key um uh events i guess or, or key periods that kind of you know, shaped your journey. One of them was, you know, as you mentioned, you were, you were raised in a, in a, a Catholic family or a religious family, um, but and it looked like you were going, you're headed toward a, a, a life of devotion, um, but that right. that changed and and you kind of switched. As a matter of fact, the one line that kind of stood out, I just kind of chuckled with, is that when you decided to do the to join the Peace Corps was that you were looking forward to two years of stimulating experience instead of chanting, praying, chastity, and, and obedience. And that mm-hmm. two out of the four weren't bad. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I had to chuckle with that one. So take, take us back to that, that, that time period when, you know, you made that journey that, that took that fork in the road or well, if if you if people read the book, they'll see where um, I was enticed to say that I wanted to become a, a nun uh, because it, we'd have Catholic summer school. 
school uh, where I grew up in Ismay, Montana, and uh, the priest would ask, you know, how who has a vocation, and I. I knew that he gave a prize because he said he was going to give a rosary or a medal or something that, you know, I, I like winning. <laughs> and so I would raise my hand. And so I was kind of, uh, you know, enticed in, in saying that. But also my parents would have been very proud had I, one of their six kids had, you know, entered mm-hmm. the religious life. Uh, instead, uh, you know, five out of six of, you know, don't practice religion anymore. But, um, but uh, they were very devout. Catholics, and uh, so it was just kind of a, a, a natural thing, and I got a lot of praise for, you know, following the commandments and going to confession every week and all those kind of things, and uh, so then I, uh, uh, when we moved to California, uh, they were going to put me in a Catholic all-girls high school, but um, something happened, and, and I went to a public high school, uh, Washington High School in Fremont, and uh we still had in those days they would let you out for an hour uh to go to religion classes i believe it or not and then um i was set to go to san jose state and i went to a session or a, a presentation by some of the nuns uh, uh from holy names college in oakland and I remember going up to Sister Paulina Mary, who was head of the psychology department, and I said, you know, I think I'll lose my religion if I go to San Jose State. And she gave <laughs> me a full scholarship as long as I could, you know, keep my grades up. And so I and, – and I had gone to Sacred Heart High School. My parents had sent me – I'm two and a half years older than the rest of the, my next sibling. And when we were in Montana, they sent me off for three years to a Catholic high school where I lived on my – Oh, well, I lived usually with a roommate um, right. during those three years. And so you can tell that, you know, religion and being Catholic was very important to my parents. So it was to me, too. And then I really felt that I, because of the scholarship that put me through college, I should um, become a nun. And I remember talking to Sister Pauline about it, and, and I had, by the summer of my junior year, I uh joined a group that went down to the Central Valley of California, and uh, I remember going door-to-door with Cesar Chavez. We were taking a, a, a what do you call it, a census okay. of, of, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. of the migrant workers. And that was my first in, in uh, being into the culture that much. We would sing, and the food was great, and the people were so warm. And uh, so that... In, enticed me to join another group, uh, Amigos Anonymous, and spend a summer in a small Mexican town. So by doing those things, I had decided I I think I will postpone going into the nunnery. And I remember having a talk with Sister Paulina Mary, and she said, you know, it's your decision. It's not an obligation. You you do what you need to do. And uh, so so that's how I ended up not being a nun and instead of going into the peace store and then getting married. But I think it was a good decision on my part. So did I answer your question? You did. You sure did, yes. Now, um, since you brought up Amigos Anonymous, um, tell us a little bit about that group, because it seems that your experience with that group um, in Mexico, uh, in your your trip to Mexico, seemed to be kind of like setting the stage, I would think, you know, for your uh, future uh, Peruvian exploits. 
Right. I don't think I even realized it at the time, but um, I so I I liked adventure, and this group was forming. Uh, that was the first year, 1963, when I between my junior and senior year of college, and uh, the priest at Newman Center at UC Berkeley organized this group of uh, college-aged students and connected with families in Mexico so that they had projects that they wanted us to work on. And in my case, it was uh, starting a, a school in a poor area of Apaseo El Grande, which is near Salaya. And uh, so we, uh, there were, but there were 13 girls that were assigned to, to that group because the head priest down there, El Senor Cura, did not want a mixed group of, of girls and boys and, uh, mm-hmm. or young, young women and young men. Uh-huh. And uh, But what was great about that is that there was a lot of communication and coordination with the people in the towns so that uh, we worked with other young people uh, who lived in the town and they could uh, work side by side with us and then take over the projects when, when we came back to school. And that was a, a, a real experience, and I really think that helped me be accepted into the Peace Corps. It was a good training. Well, my my living and working on ranches in Montana was also good training of you know being without electricity and right. without the comforts of life. Uh, but uh, no, I relished uh, my time in 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 that little town, and still have a lot of contact. In fact, uh, over the years, I was the first. My sister went down a couple years later, and some people went down two and three times, um, and it kept going through the 60s into the 70s, I think. There were hundreds and hundreds of uh, young men and women that went to various places in, in Mexico at, to, to work at, during their summer yeah. vacation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, now going to, with the Peace Corps, talking about the Peace Corps, um, you you talk about um, in the book about you know how it happened that you not only got into the Peace Corps but also the the uh, destination of Peru. Um, it involves someone named Tom. <laughs> uh, can, you tell, can you tell us a little bit about that? Because, see, you know, this is, again, one of those things that I, I yes. love in your book is, is that there is someone has such a significant um, impact on the journey that, you know, um, it's interesting. So tell, tell us the story about Tom, the Peace Corps, and Peru. Okay, just to follow your point, you just never know what things in your life will lead to other things. I mean, I'm sure people, especially I realized that in in writing this, but I had been going down to the Central Valley uh, on weekends when I was a junior in college, and there was a young man named Tom, and he would play the guitar and I became I got a crush on him let's say I, he didn't know it and he still doesn't know it to this day although I <laughs> was I did find him through uh LinkedIn and um know where he lives and and is happily married with children but um but I uh was down there one weekend and Tom wasn't there so I asked the priest who was in charge I said where's Tom and he said oh Tom is in the Peace Corps in Peru so when the form came to say what country I wanted to go to, I just put down Peru. Just 
<laughs> like that. And it yeah. ended up being one of the better decisions uh, for a whole lot of reasons. I mean, I learned learned a good quality Spanish uh, because they speak Castellano there. And uh, then, of course, I ended up, you know, with a lovely husband. <laughs> But um, another thing that I had done that I don't know if it, I only dedicated like a paragraph in the book to it, I think. But when I was, I tend to be a very impulsive person. And again, I originally was going to call the book Impulsive Adventurer. But um, <laughs> and, and because I can see, which I don't think I appreciated before, how impulsive I tended to be. But I was. Uh, at Holy Names, and we were in a PE class in the gymnasium and playing tennis, and it was the end of the period, and I just decided to jump over the tennis net. Not that I'd ever done it before, but I'd seen it done on TV. <laughs> I, thought, I guess I must have thought, why not? And Well, I didn't quite make it. My feet got tangled up in the net, and I landed on my uh, mouth, on my, and, and I lost teeth. One tooth went one way, and one tooth went the other way. And I didn't even have a dentist. I'd never even had a cavity up to that point. So I went to a friend's dentist, and he wired the teeth all together. Well, when I got to Peru, one of those teeth needed a root canal. And so the Peace Corps sent me to a Peruvian dentist, and uh, this was in January, uh, a few months after I got there. And he fixed it, but he said I had to come back in February. Well, by February, I had met Antonio. And uh, he was back at the university in Cusco. So it it kind of was the start of things. Because I had damaged my teeth and needed a root canal, I ended up right. in the town and getting to know my future husband better. So put that together. <laughs> I know. I know. To me, it's, I'm, I'm always just fascinated, you know, when you look at the, the use of uh, how uh, we're kind of guided. Yes, serendipity are guided, you know, to to um to what happens. Now, um, let's talk about the Peace Corps. Now, you your experience with the Peace Corps was in the, in the early beginnings of of the organization. So, can you tell us a little bit about um, your um, experience with them? You know, as, as far as you know. You know, just the overall experience that you had with them, and and then you know, for people listening now who may even want to consider that, what would you be your your comments to them? Well, first, I have to say that all seven thousand eight hundred Peace Corps volunteers have been brought back to the United States because of the pandemic. So I don't know when the Peace Corps will open up again. They have said that those yeah. same volunteers can go back to their sites, and many of them felt so bad about being jerked out of their sights, and in retrospect, I think some of them would have been better or safer from the virus had they stayed there. But uh, mm-hmm. So uh, when I was in, it, the Peace Corps was just a couple years, three years old, and they were doing most of the training in the universities, like I think we had two months in, uh, well, I was at, trained at Cornell in rural community development, and most of the, the volunteers were being sent in for community development and some other thing, but I know community development was a was a big one, and uh, they believed in a lot of uh, physical conditioning, which has helped me to this day. I mean, I it started there. I, I didn't know about jogging, but we used to jog a couple miles every day. And uh, there was a, a girl from Oregon who was used to jogging, and she used to lead the pack. That was really inspiring. And there were a hundred and I think I forget now. Did I say hundred and 
two of us that started. And in those days, um, they would select you out for a variety of reasons, and I think 71 of us ended up in Peru, and then some of them left when we got to Peru. But uh, you would have to see a psychologist or a psychiatrist for a couple of interviews. Uh, they wanted to make sure that you could, uh, you know, survive, I guess, or that mentally you were stable enough to, to uh, be, you know, be in the Peace Corps. So we did uh, two months in a university. The, the emphasis, as it still is, was language. If you're going to a country... Uh, that, that has another language, you need to learn that language. So the majority of our training was, was in language. But then we also, um, Cornell is a, a university that used to have a big uh, agricultural component, and so they had us doing, you know, butchering pigs and things that I had been exposed to in, in Montana. Nowadays, uh -huh. Uh, they don't. Uh, they do most of the training in country with nationals, with the people who live in that country, and because I think they coordinate a lot more with the people there and try to uh, put uh, volunteers in uh, places that they are really needed. And um, yeah. what else was I going to say? Uh, oh, I have a niece that went to Gabon in 2000 to 2002, I think, and I was asking her about her training, and she was trained in-country, uh, not for a long time, not as long as we were, because we were two months in the university and then three weeks in Puerto Rico at Camp Radley, and then two weeks or three weeks, I can't remember exactly which, in um, a home, I think it was a couple of weeks, in a town right. in Puerto mm -hmm. Rico. So, so the training's quite different. They get you into the country to do the training as soon as possible, and uh, they try to uh, match you with uh, whatever is needed in the country. A lot of volunteers these days teach English. Now, we were asked to teach English by the community, but our thinking was, my roommate Marie and I, our thinking was that uh, they're not going to remember what we teach them, we didn't think, and so why spend yeah. a lot of time teaching them English? Um, and they do. They work in, uh, like my niece worked in AIDS prevention, uh, sex education in Gabon, uh, and they just do a lot more things that are, uh, you know, worthwhile, uh, building latrines and wells, and right. uh, they coordinate with NGOs a lot more. We, we, we didn't do that. So it's, it's changed quite a bit. It still is, uh, they started this in the 70s, the toughest job you'll ever love, and uh, you can talk to almost any returned Peace Corps volunteer, and they will say it was a major turning point in their lives. It just, uh, I have a blurb yeah. on, on the book that isn't in the advanced copy from um, Congressman Sam Farr. And he was telling me that there, are, there now have been several legislators that are returned Peace Corps volunteers. And when they got together and were asked, you know, what made a bigger impact on you being in the legislature, U.S. Congress, or being in the Peace Corps? And they all immediately said being in the Peace Corps. So it's, huh. it's very yeah. impactful. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're um, about halfway through the show, Evelyn. I want to take just a quick break, and I do want to invite listeners, if you'd like to call in and ask Evelyn any questions, you can call in at 619-789-4359. And for those of you listening live in the chat room, if you have any questions, feel free to pose them there. And, and then when we come back from the break, Evelyn, um, 
as I mentioned in the introduction, that you've traveled to more than 100 countries. So I want to talk about um, what you would say that the travel that you've done has most taught you, okay? Okay. Okay, great. Everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us and hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,400 shows we have had over the past nine years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, photography, a wellness store, and self-publishing assistance. Our show is a free podcast on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on many social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms at the top of our homepage. Our website, ByteRadio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone, thank you for staying with us again today. My special guest is Evelyn Cole Latore, and she is author of Between Inca Walls, a Peace Corps Memoir. Um, Again, you can find out more by visiting Evelyn's website, which is evelynlatore.com. That's E-V-E-L-Y-N-L-A-T-O-R-R-E.com. Okay, with that, we're back, Evelyn. Okay. Okay. Should I go ahead and answer your question that you asked me? Yeah, so so, I mentioned um, you traveled to more than 100 countries. So what would you say that that, that travel has most taught you? Well, most of the countries I've traveled to since I retired in 2002, and I've done it with my husband. And I have to say uh, there's nothing like travel together that – can unite you or separate you. I mean, we travel very well together. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, but it's shared experiences. We we have experiences together. And I always have looked forward to, to traveling with my husband. He knows history better than I do. He had more history classes and uh, remembers more of it than, than I do. And it, you have to figure things out. We used to travel just on our own. Uh, in the beginning, and then the last several years we travel with Overseas Adventure Travel or Grand Circle, and uh, it's so much easier. What used to happen is that, like, uh, when I first retired, we spent a month in New Zealand and a month in Australia on our own, and I read guidebooks, and I had read them then, but uh, I missed places if we were on our own, places that I really needed to see. I'd go into a store and look at postcards and think, oh, we didn't go there. We need to go there. So what I've learned is uh, it takes quite a bit of pre-planning, but what's great about it is uh, meeting other people and, and living 
their experience, especially if you live in a country. We decided at one point that we wanted to become fluent in Italian, so we have lived uh, in Italy for a total of like a year and became pretty fluent. And so you get to know the culture and the people and what they value uh, by you know going through the museums. And um, you get a better understanding of people's food and history, and uh, it's a living education. I wrote an article for the magazine that uh, Overseas Adventure Travel puts out, and I called it, kind of says it all. I mean, it just, travel is, puts me in ecstasy. And it prolongs time. It just seems like when you're in a new place and you're getting new information, uh, time extends itself. And the biggest mm-hmm. adjustment is coming back home. I, I, it's really hard to get back into a routine and, and an adjustment when I when I come home because you know you got to take out the garbage and you got to clean the house and <laughs> and when you're traveling you yeah. don't even have to cook you know so but uh, it also has shown me better ways of doing things you know that well I kind of knew this from my background anyway that wealth isn't measured in dollars and money it's it's you know can be measured in many other things, uh, outlook on life and friends and, you know, things that, that don't have anything to do with money. And some of the poorest people are the most content. So mm-hmm. blessings and hardships don't have clear lines. Uh, there's a chapter in my book, uh, it's called Letters, and I kept these people's letters. They were a couple of gentlemen I, I met. One, I was flying back after Peace Corps training, uh, from Mexico to the U.S., and I, they put me in first class, I think, because but then the Peace Corps was, you know, highly thought of or something, but they put me in first class. <laughs> and he, I was sitting next to him, and he was a man that had a lot of money, but he was not really happy. And he continued to write to me hmm. after afterwards, and, and, and there was somebody I worked with at the library also. And I was just being in Peru and reading these letters from men who had it all but weren't happy uh, just yeah. kind of hit me that you know you, you you need you need to look at life it, well that's what travel does it, it gives you a, a different perspective on life i think so yeah um, yeah it, it it does and you know so what um what do you, what's your feeling about um you know the um, the importance of having that multicultural education i mean you know the i mean it, it seems that um you know particularly in today's environment where where students can't travel you know i mean we don't have yeah. we have all that kind of stuff going on um what tell us your your perspective of of that multicultural the ability to have that perspective well uh, if you're asking about when I went and got my doctorate in multicultural education, it just seemed like a natural extension. Everything just, you know, I go with my interests, not what I'm going to make more money at. Um, And uh, I was a minority in the multicultural department, and it was great. I mean, I met so many other people from all over the world that were, or their backgrounds, their, their parents may have come from some other place, but they were studying multicultural education also. Uh, and I learned that I should have spoken to my children, or one of us should have, t- totally in Spanish, and they would be bilingual today. Um, so I learned a lot about the importance of learning a second language when you're young. 
I kind of knew that, but I learned all the theory and, and uh, that. But uh, I I just uh, people in other countries. How can I say this? Uh, I don't want to say don't take life so seriously, but uh, we they don't all have these. <laughs> they don't all have these goals to reach the higher level, you know. To to yeah. now I. Uh, my mother had a, and my well, my mother more than my father, a real work ethic, and I I did get that, but I think by being um, in other cultures that don't stress so much that it's you know what level you get to in an occupation or how much you earn. Uh, I mean, I knew that on some level, and I practiced it to a certain extent. I mean, because after all, I made my life in education, which is you don't make a lot of money. But um, so I I think being exposed to a variety of cultures, it just gives you a number of different ways of looking at things, and then you choose what what you like best and what suits you. Uh, My husband, for example, I mean, all the guys I was ever attracted to, and there were quite a few of them in Latin America, I, I... Still, I'm trying to figure that one out. But well, I I really think because they were more emotional, they showed more emotion, at least the ones that I encountered, and they treated me so special. And and I think they were most of them were sincere, and especially the man I married. Um, he is not a high achiever and, you know, got to get to the next, you know, make the next million or anything like that. And so he calmed me down a lot. My sister said right after I married, I used to just go, you know, a mile a minute. And uh, had, and I still have a lot of projects. But, um, but, but I just could take a breath and enjoy being. Yeah. And I especially appreciate his willingness to give up everything he had ever known in his country for me. I mean, that's true love. And I don't think I had, I knew what love was before I encountered it in other countries. I mean, not that we didn't have it in the United States, but so much of our life is around material goods. And, yeah, you know, when you were talking about not taking life so seriously, I had, I had a, a woman on my show probably about six months ago now um, who wrote a memoir of her life um, in Costa Rica. And uh-huh. she was she was talking about how um, basically when it came time to meeting people there, it was, it was not what do you do, but, you know, like who's your family? You know who are you? Mm-hmm. You know what's your lineage? You know, and and that was, and and they would, she would say that they would go through several um, attempts to define that before even trying to begin to think of what it is that you do. Whereas in the United States, it's almost you know immediate. Hey, hi, you know my name is Robert. What do you do? Yeah. You know, um, yeah. so it's a totally different type of self-identification. Yeah, it's called a human doing instead of a human being. So, yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah, and that's very valuable to to realize. Uh, and I do like the emphasis on on family. People do a lot for family, and uh, live they all live together more than we do. Um, 
I mean, I, I especially during the pandemic, I wish I have one son in New Jersey and another in Los Angeles, and no, mm. I won't be seeing them. You know, so uh, if we live all lived in the same house, which certainly the house we live in could accommodate several families, that's the other thing. I often say, you know, the house we're in, several families could live in, and we don't offer it, but uh, that's that's. What yeah. you do. On the other yeah. hand, uh, my husband um, could not. He there weren't there wasn't as much work in in where he was in Peru when he was 22 um and he was studying something he didn't enjoy and um so so there are definitely advantages and I we chose to make our lives up here partly because of the educational system and because you can get ahead you know working does get you ahead and uh, we raised our children here well, my youngest son did go back for a year and lived with his grandparents in Cusco and uh, learn some Spanish, but um, uh, yeah, no, yeah. it's 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 a choice. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, one of, part of your journey included um, social activism. So, I'd like to talk a little bit about your view of social activism, and in particularly in today's environment, it seems to be rearing up stronger now. So oh, what, yeah. what, tell, tell us a little bit about your view, you know, as an educator and, and your personal experience and what you're seeing in, in today's world. Oh, I'm, I'm really hoping it makes a permanent change. Um, just yesterday I was talking to, with my youngest son. We, our first house that we bought in Fremont, our next-door neighbors uh, were a lovely African-American couple. And... Um, my kids were over there all the time, and we don't realize maybe what other uh, problems, you know, we, we didn't get to know them so well that they we knew if they were coping with some of the things that people are saying they cope with here. We just, yeah. because of white privilege, we just uh, we we just have not had to to do that. And, and, and our, and our, uh, African-American friends don't complain to us about it, you know, but I know it, it happens, and I don't think any of us realized how in, into the, I mean, like, the uh, I never knew that the a lot of the bases were named after Confederate uh, generals, and um, I, I've traveled quite a bit. I've traveled almost all 50 states, but uh, it just never occurred to me <laughs> what an insult it is to look at a statue of someone who enslaved your your grandparents or great-grandparents. Um, so in terms of activism, I actually missed, I was in Peru from 64 to 66 when a lot of that was going on in the beginning. And then I had children, so the most I could do is register voters. I'm an avid member of the League of Women Voters, and we most of my activism comes through them and, and making sure everybody can vote. Um, so I am I'm really gratified to see the younger generations, and it kind of looked like that. And actually, generations were um, uh, raised by we older generation people. So every generation um, has has something to offer. But this young, this generation that's out marching today, I just wish them the best. I I hope things change, and it looks like they're going to. Yeah, Are you, there? you know you're oh, right. Okay. I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, and you're right. I didn't even know about the the bases and the 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 history behind the names and the, and the individuals either. And so, I mean, this it's really 
um, raising a lot of awareness, I think, that, you know, that, you know, we didn't have, um, but, uh, you know, and, and that the, the Juneteenth, you know, um, event, you know, in, in Tulsa. I mean, I had no clue at all, you know, what that was about. But, you know, not from this point forward, you know, I think that it'll, you know, it's, it's in everyone's consciousness now. And, um, well, yeah, it yeah. Is. and mm-hmm. may, maybe you have friends that tell you about these things. Like I worked with people um, in my last job that uh, informed me about Juneteenth, but it, it, I didn't go to it. It, it's it's like uh-huh. it was on the periphery, and you were saying how things connect. This Amigos Anonymous group that uh, we still meet, we're meeting virtually now, and uh, this uh, Thursday night we are having a discussion about white privilege and what does it mean, and um, how do we benefit from it? And they're all very socially conscious. We do uh, contribute to. Well, right now we have 13 students in Mexico that Amigos Anonymous supports to get through school, and uh, we've done this for many years, I don't know, maybe 10 years, where we send our money directly to a woman in uh, the Apaseo area who coordinates uh, support of students getting uh, an education. And my husband and I went down a few years ago and uh, talked to a nurse. I think there were like nine in her family, and because we helped her get a nursing degree, she's she can support herself and her family, whereas her siblings mm-hmm. did not have that opportunity. So, uh, and another thing is, we went down two years ago with a group my husband and I did to the town where I was at Apaseo Grande with a group called Peruvian American Medical Society (PAMS), and uh, and they. Uh, we worked in a, the hospital, the same hospital that I had worked in when I was there. It's a lot different now. Uh, but we uh, worked as translators for doctors who were performing uh, operations and uh, cleft lip and uh, whatever was needed to be done. A lot of the children we found have uh, uh, respiratory illnesses. But uh, mm-hmm. so I, I continue active that way. Uh, you know, when I can, I... I go myself. If when I can't, I contribute money to PAMS and to the Amigos Anonymous thing. So, great. Well, I have to ask: when you went back there, did the non-communist library that you set up was that still in existence? <laughs> no, unfortunately, uh, it, I don't know why it doesn't. Uh, it isn't. What happened with the school, though? Uh, the government took over the school a few years after oh. we started it in this warehouse. And uh, and they've built a, a high school now on the hill. Uh, yeah, I've been back to both Apaseo and to, to Avancay. And uh, both these places are much larger. That's the thing I notice most in traveling uh, the world. Number one is the amount of pollution. I mean, you can look across mm-hmm. a field in some places, and it looks like it's full of snow and it's full of plastic bags. And um, and the other thing is wow. the increased population. Now, in Avancay, I never could get an, a good read on what the population was when I was there, but I think we decided probably 7,000. Uh, now it's much, much higher because at one point the Sendero Luminoso 
was killing the heads of uh, the mayors of the little towns around, and they all came into the city. And so Abankai, I I can't recognize it. Uh, the other thing uh-huh. is, in in my book, I talk about a big wooden door that uh, my um, husband to be and I would do petting behind. <laughs> I went to look at that door. That door was not that big. It was not a big wooden door. But that's that, that's that's what happens. <laughs> um, oh, that's funny. Yeah. But wow. things change, not for yeah. the better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes they do. Sometimes, but a lot of times, it, it can be. Uh, some of the change can be sad. Um, so now, what what do you hope that the readers are going to take away from from reading behind? I mean, excuse me, between Inca, Inca walls. Well, um, I guess that number one, that everybody should write a memoir. That uh, and then a, a memoir is just a part of your life. It isn't like an autobiography where you talk about everything you've ever done. But um, I, I just want to encourage people to give it a try. Uh, there are a lot of uh, classes, and like I said, the National Association of Memoir Writers uh, has been great. And, um, and I guess um, that it's good to take risks, that, you know, taking a risk in life can enhance your life. Um and that it, it helps you understand yourself. I mean, other people's uh, journeys will be different than than mine. Uh, but you have to uh, pretty much love yourself first, so you can have the confidence to risk. I think, and bounce back from adversity. Uh, and yeah. I I was emancipated very early from my family, and I don't know if that's good or bad. I yeah, you know, they sent me off to high school and. And once they did that, I just, you know, the rest of my life pretty much, <laughs> that was it. you know, <laughs> yeah. did it on my own, but with a lot of support from, from my parents whenever I needed right. it. Not financial, yeah. but, you know, uh, moral support. Right. And that you don't mm-hmm. always get what you want. You may get what you need. <laughs> That's the big thing, <laughs> is that I I would not have uh, the loving husband that I had have if I had not violated a few rules to begin with. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and just, you know, it, it's just, um, I think it's wonderful to, to always you know, kind of look back and see, you know, where your journey has taken you, the, you know, those crucial points in your life that were, you have fork in the road and you, you know, in major choices mm-hmm. and, and what, what you choose. It's, it's wonderful. And, and again, you, the, you know, the imagery that you have in your book is, is wonderful. I, I like um, it, the format you use in your book, you have you know short um, chapters, I guess, for lack of a better word, but just really short pieces, you know. And um, for me, I like that because it's um, it keeps it the story going, you know. I mean, it's kind of a so it's always something you know you really want to turn the next page. So I really like that about the format that you used in your book. Well, I like the. Uh... Reviews that I've gotten, some some part of the reviews, not not the whole reviews always, but for example, Kirkus reviews, which is looked at quite highly, say that I present a forthright and candid voice. Uh, another review said that it was bold and uh, 
I like those words, vivid, un, uh, colorful, yes. colorful mm-hmm. culture unfolds in vivid descriptions and beautiful metaphors. I thought that was nice that that, that, that was said about it. Um, yeah, they say a lot of rich details about Peru and the Peace Corps, and especially now when you can't travel, you know, reading books is right. a good way to travel. Yeah, Absolutely, so. I agree. Well, Evelyn, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today. I, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Well, thank you for inviting me. Appreciate that. And take risks and travel when you can. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And if you can't do it physically, pick up a book and travel. Well, and especially my book. (laughs) Yeah, It's on Amazon. You can also go to Amazon and look it up, too. It's a lot of endorsements there, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Yeah, it's gotten really good reviews. Well, thank you again, Evelyn. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Okay. Thank you. Okay, that's it. You're welcome. Yeah, that's okay, it. bye. Bye bye. Again, everyone, today my very special guest has been Evelyn Cole Latore, and we have been talking about her book, Between Inca Walls, a Peace Corps memoir. Um, as she mentioned, uh, you can find it at Amazon.com. Um, it's publication date. It's going to be August of this year, but you, I believe you can go ahead and pre-order. Um, again, uh, find out more also by visiting her website, which is EvelynLatore.com, and that's E-V-E-L-Y-N-L-A-T-O-R-R-E.com. So, everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. To follow our show, visit our homepage at byteradio.me and select the platform you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.